right, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer with Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, as always, he actually got July 1 off this year, Rory Boylan. Yeah, I mean, man, there's been a lot that has kind of happened or is happening in the last week, right? From the lottery to you got some hub city developments where... Maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, some details or announcement has been made on the CBA because that's got to be made before long. And then we're going to get into a player vote. And, you know, just over a week, that's when training camps are supposed to open. Yeah. And just a couple weeks after that, they're going to be in the hub cities. I'm looking at this and thinking, man, it's going to be, I think they're going to do it for sure, but it's going to be some minor miracle to get all of this done and arranged in, what, three weeks' time. Um but heck, at the same time, we're that much closer to hockey actually being back. And so got to be pretty excited. Well, we're going to talk a little Hub City, a little draft lottery because we haven't touched base since the big placeholder victory uh, last Friday. And, uh, you know, it was certainly exciting to have some actual uh, regular concrete news to talk about, if you can call it that, with a placeholder yeah. team uh, winning the top spot. And we will also... Look at some UFA signings from the past. I wrote a piece on July 1 for the typical opening of the NHL free agent market. Um, Not just looking at some of the biggest deals, but just some of the ones that have stuck with me over time for whatever reason. Um, It was really fun combing back over those and remembering some of the ones that still made you do a face palm, some of the ones that have turned out fantastic. So we will examine some of uh, the more notable free agent signings of the cap era. But let's start with the Hub Cities, Rory. I think, I mean, Edmonton, it feels like it's been a long time since, um, you know, we've known that was probably going to be one of the two Things just became untenable in the United States, specifically Vegas. The NHL couldn't come to an agreement with health officials in BC, so we get Toronto and Edmonton, and I guess it just feels like the safest play the league could make. Yeah, and I mean, it really is a a sign of how fluid this whole situation is because you go back a week, week and a half, I mean, it seemed like a lock. It was Vegas and Vancouver were going to be the two spots, and now it looks like we're going to end up with Toronto in Edmonton, although, you know, it's still not officially announced, so who knows, right? It, it, it's not impossible that it could change again, but we do feel like um, we're pretty close to locked in there. And, I mean, you know, look at the situation uh, around the United States right now um, and what's going on in Canada, and it seems like those were the two best destinations uh, for, you know, if safety was your primary concern. Uh, for cities that would take them at least like Vancouver maybe would have been the better choice than Toronto but with their low numbers but there was a little bit of a disagreement between uh, the medical community and the NHL there in terms of what would the protocol be if if a player to test positive uh, for COVID-19 but Toronto's Toronto's you know not doing poorly with this either we're starting to open up uh, here in this province, um, it you know it seems like that bubble will be on those uh, exhibition grounds, which is a, a large area they could spread out a little bit in. You know, really got I'm really interested in the specifics of what these bubbles will look like when they get there. But um, you know, you know, Toronto. You know, when when you also consider that these games are going to be on TV, how tenable is it really to have both hubs in the Western Conference? Yeah when half the league is going to be Eastern Conference teams, that would be hard. 
Uh, so t- Toronto seems to be a good fit there. And Edmonton, I mean, they've been the lowest or one of the lowest numbers through this entire thing. So if, if safety was the top priority, Edmonton had to have been at the top of the list all along. And Mark Spector's written a lot about, you know, look, like, honestly, if you had to spend the next, you know, two months in one of these cities, um, you know, blocked off from from the outside world in a hub would you rather be in vegas where it's scorching hot outside and good luck you know surviving on the golf course yeah. or edmonton where you know you can say what you want about edmonton in the middle of winter we're talking about edmonton in the middle of summer it's nice weather you can enjoy it when you go outside it might be a little bit more comfortable and you don't have to you know spend all the time in indoors in the ac so it, it's actually it's a really nice fit there for a number of reasons and i and i think it's going to be you know, relatively comfortable for the players. Um, I'm just glad they landed on these two cities because it does seem like the best spots for safety and that they didn't force going to Vegas with the the spiking numbers we're seeing um, in, in the state of Nevada and in the city. Oh, these guys are going to go to Edmonton in the summer and be like, what's all the bad rap yeah. about? We're going to have their best <laughs> yeah. uh, UFA season in 2021. Exactly. Maybe. I yeah. love Ryan yeah. Kessler's still trolling poor Edmonton on uh, Twitter. <laughs> Um, let me ask you something that popped in my head while you were talking. What do you think the reaction will be? And Lord knows uh, it's a dangerous thing for me to ask you to put on your crazy fan hat. But um, what do you think the reaction will be if we do see some players and consensus is it, it's probably going to happen. Just opt out of this for whatever reason and say, I, you know, I don't feel safe. Like, do you think the general public, you would have, to, I'm sure it'll be a classic 90%, 10% thing where 90% will nod along and go, I get it. But the 10% will be the, te- the the people we hear from who might still lose their minds if, you know, my favorite player X has a higher concern for uh, his family and, and health. Yeah, I mean, look, the reaction should be, that you understand why a player would be sitting out, right? Like every, whether it's NHL players going back or an average Joe going back to work, if you've got a choice, you know, if if they don't want to do it, I think everybody has to understand why you just want to be safe. And, you know, you've seen players in other sports, uh, NBA, MLB have already started to opt out. Not, not many, but a few. And I, I don't, know off the top of my head if any of them are specifically because they don't want to take the risk but in they have um you know some of them are because they have family considerations and there's there's all also those kind of factors which maybe we won't see that we won't be able to consider because they're not making it public but there could be other reasons beyond just oh i'm not comfortable personally going and doing this and so that's why i think we just got to kind of step back and say okay it's understandable. My question is, I mean, I'm expecting at least a couple of players for whatever reason to not participate. I would be shocked if it's 100% all in. Um, The question for me becomes, you know, either how many does it take to opt out or how many star players, really impactful players does it take to opt out before, you know, you, you start to question how valid this is like i'm not going to put an asterisk next to the stanley cup winner this year just because we're playing this in the summer but you know if you're getting you know for an example if the pittsburgh penguins are going to be without malkin or crosby for whatever reason if this goes for testing positive in the pub in the bubble as well if you're starting to lose players of that quality and multiple of them on on a team you know can can you really go ahead and say this whole thing was legit and and i wonder what the number is 
uh, for players as a whole and what the number is for star players that you get to that point where you're like, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. And at what point does the NHL not feel good enough about it and shut it down? How many positive tests? Who needs to test positive? Who needs to bail? I mean, these are all questions we can't answer right now, but they're certainly going to be interesting to watch over the next few weeks. Well, unfortunately, Rory, that's a reminder that even once we get going, the uncertainty isn't going to completely dry up, right? It's just the the nature of what we're dealing with here. Um, You know what I think every time I see the draft lottery now ever since 2016? Leaf fans really didn't know how lucky they were to get Austin Matthews in 2016 when that was the first time that it was the uh, draw for the top three picks, right? Where previously you couldn't fall any further. Um, if you finished last, you were only going to fall to second. And then um, the 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 format changed. And you're still in your mind. Like, I mean, obviously, previously there was, you know, the, finishing last was by no means a guarantee of drafting first. But all of a sudden it was that much, you know, the possibility for you to really fall a la the Detroit Red Wings this year was there. But lo and behold, the... The least, uh, you know, hit on their whatever it was, 18% chance of actually getting Matthew. Since then, only Buffalo, uh, which finished last in 2018, did end up getting Rasmus Dahlen. But, you know, here we go again. We saw a team, uh, the Detroit Red Wings, which sure did its best to put itself in the driver's seat for uh, the number one pick. They will be picking fourth. And it was really a lottery unlike any other just because of the... Um, giant question mark of having a placeholder team enter i don't know the toronto maple Leafs, the pittsburgh penguins the montreal canadians mm. who knows who will actually now be calling alex uh alexis lafreniere's name i don't know maybe in november yeah november or october it looks like that that could be um I mean, to what you were just saying there about how, you know, that top team doesn't usually win that top spot uh, anymore. Um, it was a crazy lottery for sure. I mean, we don't know who's going to pick number one. So right away, there's, there's all that possibility. And like you said, there could be some really good teams that otherwise would not have been in the lottery that possibly if they get upset could now get a superstar winger. But I think we also need to kind of step back and say, you know what, like, the second most likely outcome from the lottery was that a placeholder team would win the That's top right. spot. Ottawa yeah. had the best odds at 25% with their pick and San Jose's combined. And then the placeholder teams combined, and I think it was 24.5% chance. The Red Wings had an 18.5% chance to win that top pick. So, so it's not like totally shocking that, oh my God, a placeholder team won number one. It's, it's not, it's not crazy for that reason it's crazy because we leave a lottery and we don't know who's going to pick and now look at all these possibilities i mean what if what if montreal knocks off pittsburgh and now you're looking at lafreniere going to play on you know crosby or malkin's wing or something like that i mean edmonton could lose and uh, look look at edmonton you've got dry saddle right now well at, at the time of the pause he was flanked by ryan nugent hopkins and kyler yamamoto and they were coming on they were looking like a force and the top line with Connor mcdavid flanked by whoever was just going to do anything like he he was used with all kinds of wingers this year started with James Neal and he was hot at the start and then he fell off and then so they've been like swapping in wingers all over the place they're still looking for a a permanent winger who could play with McDavid and if you lose and we know Edmonton's lottery luck you go into the second lottery you got a 12 and a half point a 12 and a half percent chance to win it you do and you end up with Lafreniere. Well, now you've fixed that problem, right? You've got another winger and you're going to probably put him on McDavid's wing. Um, but 
I'm really interested too. Like, I, I think I would root for Montreal to do it because a they're one of those teams that would have been in the lottery, had no shot at the playoffs. They could really use that player, and 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 b he's born in Quebec. I mean, how awesome would it be to see a number one overall pick? go and play for the Montreal Canadiens born out of out of that province would be just an excellent fit. I, I'm, you know, and not just because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I think it would be fascinating to see what would happen if the Leafs won that pick because when you think about it, they're loaded on the wings, Hasn't right? the world burned enough this year, Roy? Right. Oh, that would just be, I mean, there's all these possibilities and Toronto would probably top the list of, oh, they won, well, it's a conspiracy, you know? So... But think about it, like they're they're just chock full of wing talent, right? And then you've got like Nick Robertson, Jeremy Bracco, you got a couple other guys that will probably be pushing to make this team uh, before long. And then also consider that um, you're probably going to have a flat cap for at least the next two years. And then if it goes up in year three, it's maybe by a million dollars. So there's going to be a, a stretch of time here where... Uh, teams are going to be really strapped against that cap. I think uh, I was checking cap friendly the other day. I think it was 17 or 18 teams finished the regular season with less than a million dollars in salary cap room this year. Now, some of those teams are going to lose players to free agency and, and not agreeing on qualifying offers and whatnot, but you're still going to feel the pinch. You're still going to have to pay your best players. So I think if Toronto ended up with that number one pick, it's not that they would trade the number one pick because they're deep, they would need that entry-level contract on their yeah. team going forward. I think you're opening up the question of trading Marner or Nylander or, to a lesser extent, a Kapanen or a Janssen all over again, and you're wondering about all that. So I think if they were to win, it opens up all kinds of these trade possibilities because they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to sign Freddie Anderson after next year, and they're not going to have cap room. So regardless, you're going to have to make some room. So there's teams like that, and Toronto's not the only one that that might have to do that, but there's all these possibilities. To, you know, those, are the, those are the hot fire ones. Montreal, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, Toronto. If, if any of them were to lose out in the play-in play round and then win that top pick, I mean, it would be exciting for all sorts of reasons. Elliot Friedman said it should be Winnipeg because that was actually right. the number, you know, the the spot T- that, yeah. that hit. Yeah. Uh, I would say Columbus maybe would be a team that deserves it after everything yep. uh, that team has been through. You, you mentioned uh, trade possibilities if it came to pass that the Leafs uh, got that first pick. I mean, it's natural to look at Ottawa and see drafting third and fifth and think, I mean, is there a little opportunity? You know, they're not trading number three, you wouldn't think, but no. number five. Um, but you know what? Based on certainly what Pierre Dorian said, you know, as much as a GM's going to show you his hand, I mean, obviously take everything with a grain of salt. But um, also what Sam Cosentino, our draft guru, was saying and, and put in his mock draft on sportsnet.ca the fact they can get a center and a really good defenseman probably means you're more likely than usual to just go ahead and make those two picks right yeah i think so i mean that team they're actually in a nice spot right now when you look at all the prospects that they've got the belleville ahl team was doing phenomenal this year and they had a lot of really strong individual performances and you're going to see some of those guys push onto that roster next year. So I, you know, I definitely wouldn't feel a sense of urgency to like, you know, try and use one or both of those picks to get up to number one and take Lafreniere. I, I don't think he's on the same 
super superstar level as a McDavid or maybe even a Matthews, and he's also a winger. So there's a little bit of a, a knock on value there, not to take anything away from the guy. He's obviously going to be a phenomenal NHL player, but it's a little different in that regard. I, th- I think at this point, Ottawa can feel pretty good about eventually emerging from this rebuild in short order. And, and I would feel much better adding two top tier talents. You know, you're going to get one of those centers, whether it's Stutzel or Byfield. And, and in Sam's um, post-lottery mock draft, he had Byfield going to Ottawa, and you must feel absolutely phenomenal about that if, if you get a franchise center like that with your pick. And then if you get, you know, whether it's Jake Sanderson or Jamie Drysdale, the, one of the two top defensemen available with your fifth pick, well, you're just shoring up the back end, which already includes, you know, Eric Brandstrom, Thomas Shabbat. Like, you're, you're quickly going to be filling in your blue line with some really, really high-end young talent to go with the good base of forwards that you've already gotten. So I really wouldn't feel like um, they, they should be trading up in the draft just to get that top player. You're going to get quality players either way, top, top-of-the-line guys. So Ottawa just kind of needs to, in my mind, make those two picks, move on, and and try and get out of this, te- out of this thing uh, before long. Depth, depth is key. And it's not like these guys are third-liners. Like These are potentially top line, top D pair guys. And, you know, I, I think that you just have to be very, very comfortable with that. You know, who's going to win the top pick? Who's it going to be? Arizona. Cause they have Taylor Hall, right? <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. That's how yeah. It works. I mean, Taylor Hall, I mean, it would be very Taylor Hall if you lost in the play in round. So you're technically not in the Stanley cup finals still. And then you go and win the second lottery. Everything about that would be very <laughs> defining was, of Taylor Hall's was, career. Uh, on the, the Devils in 17 and 19 when they won the top pick. And, of course, on the Oilers after being the top pick uh, for a number of years. He was the first one in that run back yep. in 2010. So, yes, the, uh, the Taylor lottery luck. We'll see if it holds again. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to look back at some headline-grabbing, story-creating UFA deals from years past in the cap era. Big deals coming up next on Tape to Tape. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. All right, Rory, what really got this conversation started was we were planning uh, the pod this week, and I said, you know, we should do, back before July 1, I was like, we should do something about free agency that gets at not just, like, you know, the John Tavares-type deals, but, you know, the the ones that created buzz for a different reason or that were head-scratchers. The one that jumped out to me, and this is on my list of ones that I did write about, is the Mike Commissaric deal because people in Toronto were doing cartwheels and, you know, I would say there was probably a lot of hurt feelings among Canadians fans, but there was already a small band of analytics minded people who granted were probably still just trying to shut up their leaf, uh, (laughs) friends. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, there was a sense that you might not be getting exactly what you thought. And you know how it works. 
I mean, even in this industry, there are you, you see certain teams a lot more than others. And if you watch the Canadians, well, Kamasarek was there. He's playing on the top pair with Andre Markov, you know, big, tough guy who would fight and uh, really friendly, was voted into the as an all-star starter the year it was in Montreal. So, you know, he had a big profile and then boom, all of a sudden he's joining the Brian Burke Leafs as a truculent guy. And I, I think as Leaf fans, you're just, we're gleeful because not only did you add a player you thought you really wanted to add, but he came from a rival. And um, yeah, of course we know how it worked out. And he was uh, a buyout. Uh, he was an amnesty buyout, I think in 2013. So that was one of the deals that um, I just thought, you know, kind of fun to reflect back on 2009 was uh that summer but there i mean there really are a bunch let me start here though and we kind of talked about this before looking back on it again we did this when we did the what if what if the senators had signed chara not redden i mean the case for chara is the best free agent signing of all time is really strong i mean Maybe Tavares, if he ends up being the captain of a Toronto Maple Leafs team that uh, ends a 50-plus year cup drought, um, takes over that mantle. But, like, Char was 29, 29 when he came mm-hmm. to Boston. You kind of, like, I was thinking he was going to be, I don't know, maybe 27 even. But, I mean, he's been there. He's finished his 14th year. He's won a Norris. He was a finalist, like, four other times. He was the captain of uh of a cup winning team in 2011 i mean just the impact he's had on that organization the you know the co-face of it with patrice bergeron they, they really are essentially co-captains but i mean i just i can't i couldn't find a free agent signing that was more franchise defining than that one for boston in in 2006. yeah and i mean when they signed him at that age he wasn't even really at his peak yet, right? Like no. Ottawa was deciding between him and Wade Redden for crying out loud. And it wasn't until he came to Boston when Chara, that he was a good defenseman for sure, but he didn't become the absolute monster that, that he was, that we know him as until he got to Boston and played there a couple of years. Um, it, it is. I, I mean, Tavares was also not very old when he came over to Toronto and, and there's still time, you, you know, Chara signed this deal in, in like you said, 006, and that was 14 years ago. So maybe in 14 years we look back and Tavares has done something amazing in Toronto and, and you could see maybe he's uh, the biggest free agent pickup there. But I, I think I think Chara is. I think Chara is for a lot of reasons. I mean, they won a cup, right? So um, right away, I think Marion Hosa would be another one that you might consider, but I don't think he has the same... Um, important impact that Chara has you know Hosa was never really the go-to forward on his team but Chara was just leaned on for crazy minutes crazy responsibilities for years uh, for the Bruins not the same player he was anymore but he still gets leaned on um, quite heavily for a guy who's 43 years old Um, and so it's the longevity and the impact that he's had on that team um, through that entire time I think you're right I think he's been the most impactful the most important team signing um of the salary cap era speaking of hosa i had him on the list but not for the 63 million dollar deal he signed with chicago for the one-year deal that shocked us right when he and the red wings came together shortly after detroit had beat pittsburgh in the 08 final and you were like oh my god they just won the cup and they just signed marion hosa they made it work <laughs> for one year and i mean how funny is that that hosa you know gets traded to 
to Pittsburgh from Atlanta, uh, goes all the way to the final, loses, signs with Detroit, obviously, ends up losing to Pittsburgh after, you know, leaving so much money on the table that year. And then it's like, you know what? Why don't I just sign for 63 mil and win three cups in Chicago? I'll, I'll just do that <laughs> yeah. instead. Ones I forgot about uh, coming out around the same time, uh, the exact same time, actually, 2009, uh, Rob Scuderi was on that Pittsburgh team. And when he hit the open market, you know, I think Pittsburgh wanted to keep him, but he was one of those guys that was like, this was going to be your chance for a payday. And he signed for four years, 13 million for the King- with the Kings. And, you know, again, time times were different but there was less trepidation about signing a quote-unquote you know gritty player then but there was certainly some people who i think already a little leery about signing a defense first guy but it didn't click for me until i went back and looked at it that in 2009 the kings added scuderi in 2010 they added another defense first guy willie mitchell and those two guys ended up being horses on their 2012 team they played um the only guy who played more than those two on the on the D was Drew Doughty. So, I mean, those signings really wound up paying off for the Kings. And I was also looking at some team situations when teams, you know, made a package of moves. Or, in the case of Buffalo, man, this is one of the things that, you know, it kind of gets lost to history. But that the 2007 mm. offseason when co-captains... Daniel Briere and Chris Drury both left Buffalo. And as you'll recall, you know, we came out of the lost season and Buffalo all of a sudden it was just like, whoa, the Sabres are a major thing. They were like for a team that never won the cup. It's almost, it's almost like they were still the face of the new era. Cause they had all these small guys like Briere, like Palmonville, um, you know, like Derek Roy uh, Brian Campbell on defense. They were a team that previously, they were the best example of a team that pre lockout, you would never think could work because they were too small. And then all of a sudden they were just blowing by teams. Um, unfortunately never did win it, but then boom, that was it. The air went out of the balloon. Like I, I can't recall when, uh, something has come to an end off the ice to the same degree as it did for the Sabres when it was like, well, it was a fun two years, but back to reality of being small market Buffalo, bye-bye Breer, bye-bye Drury. And even though those contracts didn't work out, um, you know, over the long haul in Philly and, and with the Rangers, who of course were no strangers to throwing out huge dollars, it was just a, just a gut punch for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, they started the salary cap era, back-to-back conference final appearances, right? And then, and then you lose those guys, and it's hard to believe. But they haven't won a playoff series since then. Um, it oh, really man. was just—I mean, they won they, they they won a, a division title once in that time, but they didn't win a playoff series. So it's been a long stretch of just terribleness for the Sabers. And and I remember, you know, that that first off season with uh, Terry Pegula as the owner, they bring in Christian Ehrhoff and Vili Lino, just throwing money to to try and fix things, and none of it worked very well. Um, so you know, buyer beware. They tried to get that back on track quickly, and uh, just a complete disaster. And they're still trying to figure it out. There's still massive questions around this team. You know, at least you've got the cornerstone player in Jack Eichel, and he signed, but. You know, how long can that go on for before it becomes clear that he's not going to be around for longer than his contract? And maybe does he get moved before then? I, th- I think they've got to do whatever they can to fix this because it's it's absolutely crazy. I remember that summer losing the, when they lost those two guys and just thinking like, man, that's that's absolutely devastating. I was shocked at how good that team was for yeah. those first two years there because they just 
they came out of nowhere. They didn't make the playoffs for the three years prior to uh, the Yo 405 lockout. So they really did, like Edmonton, right? Out of that lockout, that first year, they just shot through a cannon to the Stanley Cup final. But but Buffalo seemed to have more staying power. Oh, and yeah. They were you know, c- competing for their division title. And then just the snap of a finger, their key players are gone. And, and there's no more of that. So... Um, it, it's definitely an abrupt end for them. And, you know, Ryan, when, when I was reading that piece and, you know, you're going back to some of those early contracts in the salary cap era, uh, to this day, I remember uh, one of the first contracts, I think, that was, well, not one of them, but among that, those collection of first contracts that would have been signed after that was uh, Sergei Gonchar uh, signing oh, yeah. a five-year a uh, contract with a salary cap of a salary cap hit of $5 million. And I remember thinking at the time, the cap being so low, like, man, that is an overpay. Like, how are they going to manage that? And blah, blah, blah. And it's that contract that I always think back to, because I learned very early to be careful of coming to a conclusion right away that a contract is overvalued. Because of course we know that the salary cap just shot up yeah. over those next few years. And all of a sudden before long, $5 million AAV for a Sergei Gonchar was completely manageable and, and definitely a, a good pickup uh, for the team. Going to be a little different, like I said, in, in these next couple of years when things kind of stay flat or relatively flat, you're not going to see a lot of movement on the cap front. But generally, when we get back to some kind of normal in a couple of years and looking back at some of these, I always think back to that contract and just remember Whenever somebody signs a contract right away that I think is too high, just keep in mind <laughs> the cap is probably going to rise at some point during the life of that, and it's not going to look as bad as it was. I, I got thinking about some of those old contracts, and it's it's crazy how some of them ended up working out. Do we have to relitigate uh, Leon Dreisaitl's deal where people were moaning in the moment? You know, exactly. Like, how good does that look right now? Exactly. That's 100% another great example. I mean, th- there was a lot of concern. Like, oh, man, he got paid too much. He, he got paid more because Connor McDavid got this. And so that got bumped up and all this stuff. And now you look, I was like, well, geez, the guy's one of the best players in the game. This is a value contract. Now, not only has he overperformed it himself, but the cap kept going up. So it's looked it's looked just wonderful for the team since that's another great example for sure. Do you know one um, move I have to look back on and say I, I will still kind of ride for? It was crazy, but the Minnesota Wild making that play to get Parise oh and Suter, I mean, it was a bold move. It was a team that was just kind of the definition of bland, right? I mean, they, they made a conference final early on in their time, but other than that, just you know, couldn't get out of the, over the hump, always competitive, but just never there with the big boys. And they doled out an obscene amount of money, um, 98 million committed over 13 years to each of, uh, Parise and Suter, you know, obviously two Midwest guys. I mean, Parise from Minneapolis, uh, to bring them home. Uh, I think, I think Suter was 27 and Parise was 28, maybe, I mean, it was a it was a big swing that hasn't worked out. Um, but I, I still have to give them credit for going out there and and wooing those guys to get them as a package deal because you know it, it was a major play that maybe with a few other breaks the other way could have landed them um, the championship they were after. But it just you know unfortunately they, they've never really come close. Yeah, that that episode that that time frame where you had those 
absolutely bonkers 12 yeah. 13 year deals was both entertaining and stupid at the same time because it's like really like well this guy's never going to become a free agent ever again so if if this becomes the norm it was like well what what is free agency really going to look like in five years if everybody's signing 10 year 11 year deals and everything like that um and is that a wise investment to lock yourself into to one or two players for such a long time i i agree that at the time and even thinking back like they they deserve the kudos for taking the shot, right? Like you got to pick your spots as a GM and as an yeah. organization where you're just like, you know what? We believe in this and this Chips is in. this is the move we're going to make. Yes. And and they did it. And at the time, there was reason to believe that it could work out and everything like that. And, and in hindsight, you look back and you think, especially looking at that team today, they're still pretty bland, right? Like they're yeah. caught in that middle. Not bad enough to in a normal year, uh, get the number one overall pick and not good enough to think that they're going to go on some crazy run. Um, they would be a good spot for Lafreniere to go. They need some change, but because of those contracts from so long ago, you can't move Parisi. You can't move Suter. There's a couple of other guys with no move, no trade clauses in there, so that it's really tough for them to even move on from what they are. I'm sure if they, <laughs> I'm sure if they could redo it, they wouldn't have done those contracts for as long as they they did at the time, which means maybe you wouldn't have gotten those two players, but you would have had more flexibility. And of course, hindsight, you know that you didn't win the Stanley Cup. For, so sure, yeah, you'd try something else if, if you knew what the result was. But um, it's hard to say that, it, it's hard to really crap on them because they didn't get results from it because they were far from the only team that tried these. You know, the yes. Luongo contract, he famously said that he hated it. It made him untradeable and you know, probably helped um, get him towards the end of his career. Maybe, you know, if, if, if injuries didn't hit, I think Luongo would, career would have ended before that contract anyways, right? Um, yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch of that. And some of those, like the host of deal, you're seeing them get out from under because of injury exemptions. Um, but those were just, just wild, wild contracts. I'm glad that we're moved on from and are not going to see ever again, but they made for a crazy few years of, of free agent landing spots. I think you could maybe still trade Ryan Suter, but I guess that's a, a conversation for a, a fake trade day, but maybe now with the, like, had the cap gone up, you know, as we were kind of anticipating like 7.5, still a really good player. Uh, born yep. in 85, so he's 35. Um, I still, there's like a, some match out there with a contender trying to get over the top who, um, you know, would know they're going to eat it on the back end, but would say, we still think this guy, for the next three years, we really want him and we'll take the the final two if that's part of the package. Yeah, yeah. So like we were saying, there's five more years on his contract after this one, right? And so he's going to yeah, be five, 40 yeah. by the time it's 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 over. Um, now given the, given the situation now, he's probably not tradable. Everybody's going to be sure. figuring out ways to stay under the cap, but yeah, sure. Like in a normal, if we had normal situation right now, I think he's entirely a tradable player. He's got a no move clause, so he'd have to sign off on it, but he's a very quality defenseman. He's not really like in some severe, severe decline. He'll give you some good minutes. You know, Ryan Suter is going to give you good minutes. He'll give you yep. a lot of minutes. Um, and maybe he wouldn't be the same player in the last year or two of that deal. But heck, if Minnesota could, you know, would be willing to keep a million and a half, two million of that deal, and a contender gets him at five and a half rate, 
um, for sure. I think he would be tradable. It's definitely going to be harder now, but um, he, he's he and even Parise. There's still quality play. I don't think you could trade Parise, but he's still a quality player mm-hmm. who provides close a, to thirty a plus goals to the wild. Exactly. It's just that he probably gets paid too much um, for what he brings, and and the two of them together are taking up too much cap room on a team that just needs to find ways to inject new blood to give something different to that team because they really are stuck where they are right now. I was thinking like, you know, free agency is so tied to the holiday July 1st in Canada. Like what what could happen this year? I think uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is just a little too early to expect free agency. We might still be playing the cup in, in early October, but I thought it would be uh, somehow fitting for everyone who's like, I finally don't really have to work on July 1 to be like, well, you're working Thanksgiving weekend. You yeah. might be covering the Stanley Cup final. Who knows? We'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. But it's looking like um, Stanley Cup maybe sometime in early October um, and free agency maybe November 1st or something like that. All of this, we'll probably find some more details out in the yes. next few days. But I didn't think of that before, Ryan. Geez, now you've got that in my head. If, we're, <laughs> if we have free agency on Canadian Thanksgiving... We're not going to escape these holidays. <laughs> gobble, gobble, gobble. All right. Well, hopefully we will have some concrete news. We were pushed back recording uh, because of the holiday this week, but uh, we thought we might have a little more in terms of firm news, but um, I'm sure by midweek next week, there will be a little bit more in terms of a, a concrete path laid. So make sure you check back then. Thanks to Rory, as always, for joining me. Follow him on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Thanks to our producer, Michael Mares. Come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape.